0: are listening
1: to the Echo Church Podcast, and we are on a mission of rescue and restoration into a vibrant and fulfilled life. Close your eyes and picture your father, your mother, your brother, your cousin, picture their face and their body under the knee of that cop, and just do that for a couple seconds, and that'll give you kind of the effect that we get when something like that happens. You have to personalize it. And until you do that, you're never going to truly understand it.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's Echo Church podcast. Today, Pastor Andy Cass sits down with Ken Henry, a local editor
1: at the Post Bulletin newspaper. Enjoy.
0: Just to give everybody that may be listening to this the context of how we know each other, I just want to just throw it out there. You correct me if I'm wrong, but what I remember is we planted Echo Church in September, and you and your beautiful wife showed up maybe a couple weeks into us meeting, and I met you in the lobby, most likely, or even on your uh, in your chairs in that auditorium, and uh, just really enjoyed meeting both of you, and I found out that you guys had moved from New York. Yes. Don't know why exactly, but you came to Rochester. And you just happened to get one of our flyers that we sent to you. And you had that big, colorful flyer on your on your uh, what's it called? Refrigerator or wherever it was for for a couple of weeks. And eventually you're like, hey, let's go to this colorful church. Absolutely. You came in and you kept coming
1: back. Yes. You nailed it.
0: Oh, man. Again, just really appreciate getting to know you. You're in New York right now. You've been in New York. Uh-
1: yeah actually, I'm in North Carolina right now, heading back to New York tomorrow. Gotcha
0: now i'm now I'm even more angry about about
1: where you <laughs> yeah are. well, you shouldn't be because again, it's in the sixties and raining here, so
0: oh, that's crazy.
1: yeah so Ken, would you introduce yourself a little bit? Would you
0: let us know who you are? Where do you come from? you know any other random piece of information you'd like to tell us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm Ken Henry and I'm from Rochester, New York. I have a wife, as you mentioned, Carla. Uh, We've been married for 33 years and we have two adult kids, a son who is just turned 30 and a daughter who will be 27 in October and a five-year-old dog, which is probably the most spoiled dog I've ever met or seen, Kobe. Moved to Rochester, Minnesota about a year and a half ago to take on an advertising director's job with the Post Bulletin and have been there again for a year and a half. Love the um, community, love the market, and again, was visiting a few different churches around uh, when I first got to Rochester, Minnesota. And when I had the chance to visit Echo Church, I felt most comfortable there, and so did uh, my wife, Carla. And again, when we're in Minnesota, in Rochester, Minnesota, we absolutely enjoy attending church at Echo.
0: Where did you grow up, Ken? In Rochester, New York. So do you find it funny that you moved from Rochester, New York, to Rochester, Minnesota?
1: Yes, absolutely. I do. And I see how and when... Folks get confused about the two Rochesters, especially flying back and forth. I've seen folks coming to my gate and having to run to a different gate because they're heading to the wrong Rochester. And the phone calls about Rochester are interesting as well.
0: Being here for 15 years and talking to many pastors around, typically pastors around the nation, they'll say, Where are you from? And I say, Rochester. And their first statement after that is Rochester, New York. And I'm like, "Mm, No. No, have you ever heard of the Mayo Clinic? That's the one that I live in.
1: I did write an editorial for the um, Post Bulletin. I actually sit on the editorial board, and we normally get together, and we decide what we're going to write, and we all have input. But for this, I was allowed to write my own editorial and write it from a black man's perspective because again we don't have many people of color that work actually i'm probably the only one that work for the post bulletin so i like having those tough conversations because that's the only way people learn and can learn from you as we learn from one another as far as you know What it feels like to be and to work in an environment like that as a black man. I wrote a um, editorial, and it was based on again growing up, um, you know, as as a black man and my youth. As far as you know, being stopped by the police, I actually witnessed a neighbor of ours at the age of ten pretty much get gunned down by the police, and at that point. I didn't know what was going on, but, you know, it was, you know, back when, you know, when you saw something like that, there was no counseling. So you just, you know, you went on about your day, but, you know, you don't realize how traumatic it is until, you know, you start thinking back. And, you know, maybe later on when you continue to see and hear things, how it always comes back.
0: Obviously, I could not imagine experiencing that and being on a journey to listen and to learn you know, it's sad to say, and I can get emotional when I repeat it. Every single one of my brother's uh, black brother, uh, African-American brothers, in fact, help me with that term. As a white man, I don't know what to say, and I don't know what's correct. So honestly, like, we need your help. No. What am I supposed to say?
1: You're not alone. I answer this almost on a daily basis at work. It's black. Black is fine.
0: Okay. Thank you.
1: Thank you. you. Absolutely.
0: You know, I grew up in central Wisconsin, and, and again, you know, even as a young person, I you hear, this is what you're supposed to say, but every Black brother, every Black sister that I've spoke to has a story just like yours. And again, I know a lot of the focus is on on some of the police and that experience, uh, but it's nev- it never just stops there. It's, it's just general population and other people. So have there been moments to you where you feel like you are racially profiled by individuals
1: i'll give you an example i worked for gannett in rochester new york as a manager in the advertising department for quite some time and you know we were at that time the business attire was suit and tie and i can't tell you how many times that you know i would leave work in the evening hours and dress in a shirt and tie and you know crossing the street to get to my car And, you know, there's cars stopped at the light and all you all you hear is doors locking as if I'm going to run over and try and carjack someone with my suit and tie on. Mm. So that's one thing that, you know, we experience on a regular basis. And another is, you know, when I'm getting on to an elevator And there's, you know, white women on the elevator, you know, you can see them physically start clutching their purse as if I'm going to jump in and snatch their purse and run. So it's it's those type of subtle things that we experience on a regular basis that, you know, unless you can actually be a black person and look outside of yourself, you can't there's no way you can understand that or experience it as a follower of Christ. How do you navigate this? That's actually how, because when I see people, that's who I see. I don't see color. I don't see I don't see anything. I see people. And that's how actually how I navigate, you know, working in, in an environment where I'm the only black person in the company. Many times I'm the only black person in the room, you know, of managers because there aren't a lot of black people in management or were not in jobs that i held so again i don't see color and i can truly say that that i don't i have to be reminded by other people sometimes that only i'm the only black person in the room but it's funny that you know you can get to that point but again being you know a child of god you know it's just it's i i couldn't see you know it's easy to see beyond the color of someone's skin because we're supposed to love everyone and that's what i do
0: you've obviously been dealt injustices in the past and as have i you know not not same completely different every person uh, in this world most likely have experienced hard times or being judged your character being judged for whatever reason. In fact, I know me, I have experienced that on multiple occasions, and not because of my color, my skin, right? But I have been judged. And man, they, at those moments, I feel like my heart and my emotional state were crumbled because, you know, and I think we're similar in this way, Ken, we look in the mirror and we go to bed and we go, you know what? We're trying our best. We're trying to honor God. We're trying to love people. And yes, we make mistakes. But at the same time, when people judge us for whatever reason, man, it hurts. So you've had injustices. You've had people judge you for the color of your skin. What would you say to a young person that, yes, could be black, but also could be white, and they've experienced an injustice in their life. How are they supposed to navigate through that?
1: Like you said, you're going to be judged, you're going to run into, you know, have experiences that you're not going to agree with, but you have to know that there's good in everyone. And, you know, you have to look beyond the experience as far as what you're experiencing right now. I tell people that, you know, God Assigns, you know, us, me to different places as far as work, because I think that's a part of, you know, the ministry that I've been called to. Because if, if you've never worked with, dealt with, been around a black person. And again, that's the situation I'm in now. I mean, I work with, there's not another black person in our company. So if, I'm not there to be an example of what someone who lives for Christ is. Then all some of the non-Black people would see is what they see on the news. And I give them an option or a second person or something else to look at to say, wait a minute, all Black people can't be bad because I work with Ken and he's not like that. So and again, most black people are not bad just like most white people are not bad. But if you've never seen another side to something, then there's no way for you to know it.
0: For the listeners that are listening to this podcast, they don't get the privilege of seeing you. You know, I know you personally, we've we've grabbed, I think, um, some coffee or something together. Yes. You gotta be like six three, at least. Six six. So <laughs> see, that's what I'm saying, I, dude, I am I'd like to lie and tell people I'm five ten, so so like you can see like anybody higher you know or taller than than six feet is is big to me, but you are a big man, Yes, but you have such a kind heart, and as I sp- I've gotten to know you, like I feel like you encompass this word in scripture that a lot of us don't understand, and that's the word meekness. And I just want to speak into your life and just say thank you, thank you for being example to to all people in the scenarios that may you may feel like you fit in or maybe moments you don't, and uh, just carrying the love of Christ and that smile that I see on the face that, you know on the screen today. Man, it's just when I see and have conversations, and for sure in this moment with you, I, it's just there's so much there's so much hope in this world. But as you'd mentioned the media sometimes likes to present something different. You work for Post Bulletin, okay? The local newspaper, which I I don't really feel like they're presenting a narrative maybe that the national media might present with some of the fear or some of the the narrative that we're so used to. So you as someone that works in that industry, how do we do that? I mean, how do we how do we share a different narrative? How do we present that you said like you're you feel like part of your calling is to be a model for people to get a good picture of what a, a black man who by the way is 6'6", yes. six, six, you know, I mean you're a stud <laughs> walking down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you nice. know what I'm saying? Like uh, so I'd love to I know I don't want to play football with you. So you to cream me. But yeah, how do you how, how do we do that? How we cha- how do we change the narrative today?
1: Well, I think we have to get and be more comfortable having the conversations and talking about our differences. And, you know, at work, sometimes, you know, I'll be in a situation where we could be in a meeting and someone might say something and I will kind of make a joke of something, you know, just so they can get more comfortable with me knowing that we can talk about anything I love to talk about, again, my differences and what, you know, things that they may not know. And I think the more we can do that, the more we can feel comfortable having uncomfortable conversations, the more we can explain, you know, how we feel about things. And just like anyone else should be able to explain their feelings and thoughts about anything. I want to know. And even if someone's telling me, you know, why it is they fear, you know, six foot six black men, I want to know. So I can kind of, you know, put move that aside and let them know, you know, you don't have to fear a six foot six black man no more than you would have to fear a six foot six white man unless we were bad people. And, you know, we're not all bad. And. Again, the majority of us, you know, as people, white, black, whatever, are good people, but you're going to always come across someone that, you know, has just a different heart that, you know, that are not good. And that's just, I think that's the way we do it. We have to be conscious of, again, working for the post bulletin, you know, I see things that we report on and I'll, you know, I'll question it and, A lot, most of the time, because they can't view things through the lens that I can, they don't even understand the effect that what they're reporting, what they're saying has on a a person, a black person. So again, just being able to sit at the table and have those conversations, I think is important, which to me means we have to have more people of color, black men, women in positions where we can share and help folks understand and make a difference.
0: Understanding that the lens in which you see is the way you see it, but not necessarily the rest of the world. And I think that if I've learned anything, it's to slow down long enough to listen and to hear and to begin to at least try to understand how people see things and yes. see it totally in a different light so with that in mind with your lens mm-hmm. what did you experience when the news came out that that after you know a month after kind of the media pushed Ahmad Arbery and his story which is really unfortunate in fact really 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 I had a hard time seeing that that was that, that was it was very traumatic for me to see that. But then about a month later, George Floyd and on his unfortunate death, what did you experience? What did you feel? And what can you share with, with your white brothers and sisters or Asian or Italian or Mexican or Spanish and whatever else I forgot? What did you feel? And beyond that feeling... If something like this happens to someone that has a different lens on, it doesn't matter if they're black or white or any other nationality, Christian, non-Christian, whatever it is. Yes. How can we respond to a scenario like that better next time? Because I know not all of us responded the right way.
1: I'll tell you what I felt. I felt anger because, you know, I said, here we go again. It's happened so many times. And, you know, it kind of fades out until it happens again. So from my perspective, it's OK when this fade out, the next time it happens, is it going to be because it happened to me, my son, my daughter, my brother? My So that's what I felt. You have to kind of communicate the fact that, you know, we as black men, women, whatever, we don't think because I think the narrative is that we think all cops are bad. And we don't. We know that 99% of cops, police, we know that they're not bad. They're good people and of the 1%. But when something like this happens and we get angry about it and we protest about it, you know, automatically, and I will, I don't know if it's just the media, but everyone kind of jumps on the fact that, you know, we're saying that cops are bad and we don't need cops and, you know, everything else, but that's not the case. And it's hard for us to make that point when we're angry because the cop just killed another unarmed black person that was really doing, you know, really nothing. And if you look at what happened in Atlanta just recently, you know, my wife and I, we talk about that all the time. That's a different, a little different, well, a lot different scenario because he took the cop's taser. He turned around and tried to use it. But our point is, if that was a, a white man running they seem to know how to stop them without killing them. So there's more of a, you know, if it's a shot in the leg or if they're, they tackle them, but there seem to be more of, you know, more tolerance if it's someone other than a black person that's doing what they're doing. And I think that's the light we're trying to shine on what happened in Atlanta. From, you know, my lens, that's what I see. I see that, you know, I could be doing the same exact thing as my white counterpart and the results of, you know, the action of the police are going to be totally different. One is going to get a second chance to do, to get it right and to maybe, you know, even if they were doing something wrong to, you know, make it right. The other probably won't live to get a second chance or to change things.
0: I asked you two questions. You answered the first one. What did you feel? You're angry. And yes. again, I'm not you. I get it. I don't get it. Okay. What did you do in that anger? You personally, you and your wife, how did that anger or the mourning, whatever you might have felt beyond just that simple word anger or very complex word anger, more or yeah. less. What do you feel is like okay to do and what's not okay? I don't, you know, I don't know. Help me understand how you dealt with it.
1: We talked about it. You know, you have to pray about it and then you have to watch and see, you know, what the response is going to be. So, you know, the response that we saw was we saw just as many white people protesting as we saw black, which is, you know, very important because it's not, you know, a black and white thing. It's a, you know, right and wrong. So once you see that, then I think the anger starts to turn into, okay. there's hope and, you know, we can get through this and we'll be better on the other side. But it's when it happens and you don't see anything like that happen is when it's harder to get beyond and get past your anger.
0: You respond in your anger by talking it, talking it out uh, with your wife, friends, whatever, family. But then it seems to be that what you did, and again, you're maybe not articulating it very clearly, but what what you did is you looked for hope. Yes, absolutely. And the hope that you find is that you're not alone. You've seen maybe more people respond this time than last time, and, and, and you see that there's a potential better future that may be available for you and your children. I really feel like I need to put myself... In a position to feel it to hear it see what's going on well she was concerned i mean we live in rochester minnesota this is not minneapolis you know that
1: absolutely it's not
0: downtown new york you know and so so christy's like okay i'll put the kids to bed and as i was leaving she's like are you going alone and uh, i was going to but i heard her you know and i understood her lens at least so i said hey let's go ahead and get some friends so i went down there and I was just vlogging it for personal use and potentially even to show at Echo Church mm-hmm. because I was like, "Hey man, like I'm here, and if I find something of value that's worth sharing, I'll do it." And I'm still processing on how I'll do that if I if I will do that. But I I put the camera in these teenagers' car. Four black boys were in there, and just like any teenager, I used to work with teens. Man, they just went ballistic once that camera went in their car. They just loved it, and they're hamming it up. I'm laughing, and they're laughing, and probably saying about 17 F words. It was, you know, (laughs) know, it was a wonderful moment, right? You know, and I just was taking it in and, and I walked away, got ahead of them. They were in a car and they're all driving very slowly through, through town. And when I got about 50 feet away, one of those men, young boys had said, are you with me? Are you with us? They screamed, are you with us? Yeah. And that kind of took, kind of took me back. And I, I, I strive to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know how I, I don't know if I can answer that. And so I've processed that, Ken. And what I've processed was, you know, can we be a people of, of walking alongside people long enough, you know, positioning yourself to be amongst people that when they ask you, are you with us, that you can turn and look at them and say, I'm for you. Absolutely. And I think what I'm struggling in today's context and culture is we're demanding everybody to be with us, but we're not inviting them to be amongst us. And we're not necessarily even for them because mm-hmm. we want to have people adapt to our ideologies, our perspectives. And if you don't look like us, you don't sound like us. We want nothing to do with you. And I want to present to you. I want to hear how you, what you think. I think the new unity is found in diversity, not into conformity. And I think that's a cultural narrative that the church needs to stand up and say, we can look different. We can sound different. We can actually even think slight, you know different, you know, even about some biblical content stuff. But can we put Jesus at the center of the church and say, hey, you know what? This is where we find unity, and we can be different, and we can love each other and
1: love the world around us. You know, it's hard to have a civil conversation with someone that don't think or that you don't think and agree with 100% of the time. And every now and again, I'll have a conversation where me and the person that I'm communicating with are totally on opposite sides, but neither one of us says the word stupid or, you know, it, it's, it remains civil to the point where after we're done, I always leave a, a comment of, you know, Thanks for the, you know, the great conversation. Although we don't agree with one another, I appreciate the fact that you were civil and, you know, we can continue to have a conversation and we don't have to agree as long as we're civil towards each other. And I think that's the most important piece of it is I think, we, like you said, you know, put God in the center and, you know, you don't have to agree with everything. We don't. We just have to be civil, love one another. And at the end of the day, we can go our separate ways. And, you know, there's no hurt, no anger, no nothing.
0: Just for clarity, when you mentioned when you're sitting with people, is that sitting or you're, you're so I think one of the issues is is on social media or in general media, you know, over the overarching window of media, right, is there's something that breaks down from screen to screen.
1: Yes. And that's what I mean. So, so when I'm sitting with someone, I rarely have a problem with, you know, not, we always have a decent conversation. It's social media where you can kind of hide behind social media and then you, you can say, you know, hurtful things and, you know, you don't care because you don't see me, you don't know me or anything else. So that's when I usually, will thank the person for having a civil conversation because, I mean, we can go on and on and on about whatever it is. And at the end of the day, you know, I love you. I respect your point of view. You respect mine. Have a good day. And that's it.
0: I think there's something extremely significant about the physicality of meeting with a person and giving a handshake. Or during these times, uh, air high five. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Or fist pump. Uh
0: Yeah. 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 I think that's where some of our, some of our bigger issues are stemming from is this digitizing of our world. And yes, I appreciate that we can do this on zoom, uh, that we get to see each other. And what I like about this conversation, mind you, there was a moment when my daughter just crossed my street. I live in a cul-de-sac, so it's not that dangerous. But literally, my three-year-old just walked over to my neighbor's house as I'm recording. And Beyond that, I tried to stay focused on you. Um, But I think we just, we've lost the art of focus. We don't know how to pay attention, to actually listen to people and embrace people and, and that's what I'm hoping. I can't wait to meet together as Echo Church again and beyond that to have coffee with you and just simply and enjoy each other's physical presence.
1: Absolutely.
0: And uh, embrace each other and our differences, understanding there are way more similarities than there are differences. are we supposed to respond to scenarios like that what could we do better
1: next time kind of what's happening now not looking at it as a black person's problem but our community problem and again as the kid asked you know are you with us you know first of all yes you need to clarify what that means what do you mean with us are you getting ready to go do something that you have no business doing Then no but if you're saying As humanity, as a human being, yes, I'm with you, because no matter, you know, what, who you are and, you know, your race, if you saw that video, it was wrong and it was clearly wrong. And there's no one nowhere to hide from that. So, you know, anyone that's not against that, then, you know, there's some problems somewhere with that. So. But, you know, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, we, we have to respond together. It can't be our response. It has to be all of our response. And, you know, what I wrote in the editorial was if you really want to get the full effect of what we feel, close your eyes and picture your father, your mother, your brother, your cousin picture their face and their body under the knee of that cop and just do that for a couple seconds. And that'll give you kind of the effect that we get when something like that happens. You have to personalize it. And until you do that, you're never going to truly understand it.
0: Seeing it on a screen, seeing it on TV, I think we we struggle with humanizing the scenario. And what, what great advice, because, you know, I mean, we'll watch shows we'll watch movies and there's there's murder that takes place there's there's atrocity and we watch it every day in and out absolutely and then all of a sudden you see something that is happening for real i think honestly our you know our brain has a hard time processing that this is a human and me as a white person when i'm watching george floyd underneath the knee of a white man I may not respond the same way as a black man because you humanize him. You've humanized Absolutely. him. And for, uh, for whatever reason, I may not do this intentionally, uh, but I may view this as entertainment and not
1: necessarily a human issue. And so what a great piece of advice. For me, watching that, that could have easily have been myself. It could have been my son because we look like George Floyd and we have looked like 30 or 40 other black men who've been, you know, killed for no reason. So that's why, you know, the anger comes first. And that's why, you know, it's easy for us to see it and, you know, and react to it because, you know, that it could have really been us. I've been, you know, I I wrote an editorial that I've been surrounded after a long day of work driving home. You know, I find myself being pulled over. And before you know it, I'm surrounded by God knows how many cops. And Didn't have a clue that there was a gun pointed at me from my back window of my truck. And had I gone into my glove box to get my wallet, had I made a certain a sudden move, who knows? So, you know, it's it it happens and it happens all the time. And until it happens to you, it's really hard for you to really relate to, you know, how you would truly feel about it.
0: I think I hear and I sense that you have tons of em- empathy as well for, for police absolutely law enforcement. We've heard the news. I hope everybody can agree that there has been some horrible injustice that's happened with people that have justice in their hands. We, we, yes. I hope the vast majority of humanity agrees with that. Is there a positive message that you could say to law enforcement? What would you encourage them? You know, I, I might be treading on water, and uh, uh, on thin ice here, but I hope it's safe enough to just ask you, like,
1: what, what now? Is there hope? There's definitely hope, and it's simple. And I, I know it's not as simple as I'm going to make it sound, but, you know, when you see me, let's have a conversation. Let's talk. A simple, you know, how you doing? How's your day going? Because, again, I know that it's a very stressful job. And, you know, I know that, you know, cops, they have to deal with a lot. But again, I think they have to be a part. They have to be with us. Just like the kid asked the question, are you with us? Yes, Uh, we are with you. And again, it's not looking at me as if, you know, you're wondering what I'm up to. But look at me as another person that you love and someone that you feel like could be a part of your family. And that's all we ask, because, again, you know, if you're walking by or if you see, you know, a cop or police and they stare you down as if, okay, what did he just do? That's getting off to a a bad start. But if they're looking at me saying, you know, hey, how you doing? How's your day going? That's going to be a little different. And when I do experience, you know, a situation where maybe, you know, we are confronted or there's a situation where, you know, it's me and versus a cop and not really versus, but having a conversation, it's going to be a lot different because I can relate. I can trust. And I don't think you're looking at me as a bad guy first, but then I'll get to know you. But no. Look at me as if I'm a good person. And then if I give you a reason to make me, you know, to make you think I'm a bad person. okay. but you have to see the good first. And I think they did this in Camden, New Jersey, where, you know, they start the the police started spending a lot of time in the community and just, again, being there, talking to people, making friends. And it made a world of a difference. I think the crime rate is down the murder rate is down. Everything is down and you just have a better community. But it all starts with love.
0: Yep. So I think I hear you saying that you would love to have more conversations with law enforcement or people in authority and that you are a, a loving black man that appreciate what they do and you would love to come alongside them to make Rochester's. The Minnesota and New York a better place.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's doable.
0: I think it is. Every cop I know is a good cop. And the message that you just shared, Ken, and they love to have you over at dinner. They love to have that conversation. But I agree with you that it doesn't matter if you're black or white, it doesn't matter if you're a cop or not. We need to see the best in people first and go from there.
1: Yep, absolutely. And a thank you from us. I try and do it as often as I can. If I see a cop, police, you know, thank you for what you do, for putting your your life on the line on a daily basis. You know, that can go a long way as well. So I think sometimes we take, you know, police for granted. And, you know, again, they're doing something that I personally couldn't do because my wife said she wouldn't let me. She <laughs> said she could not bear the stress of not knowing if I'm going to come home. They do that on a daily basis. So, you know, we, we should have a sense of gratitude towards them. And again, as we started off, the majority, 99.9% of police are good people. You know, the half percent of whatever it is, you know, that are bad, we cannot we cannot make the good ones and put them in the same box as the bad ones. It just won't work.
0: So good. So good. And I, I think the struggle that, and and correct me if I'm wrong, and this will be the last thing I say, the struggle is George Floyd dies and Black Lives Matter, certain narratives and messages are being presented. When that's being said, that's a form of mourning. That's a form of anger. It's articulating how you feel every time you see an injustice like that happen. The struggle is this, is there's people who believe that if you're for something, you must be against something.
1: That's the problem. Man,
0: I appreciate what you just said, because you're not against, you're for both.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, that's why, you know, a lot of conversations that I've had, and these have been with white friends that are very close to me, you know, when Black Lives Matter comes up. And the first thing they say is all lives matter. And of course, all lives have always mattered. But it's not all lives that you see being taken for no reason on a regular basis. So blue lives matter. All lives matter. And yes, black lives matter because we have to take a stance on, you know, being what we feel being preyed upon. And you know, not getting the serious look and action that we feel it deserves. So, all lives have always mattered. Absolutely. Oh, Father, I just love you, and I give you all the praise and all the honor. Lord, I thank you for Pastor Andy, Father, for giving us the opportunity for, for Lord for you giving us the opportunity to come together as brothers, Father, to come together just to have a conversation that we should always be comfortable having conversations about, Father. Lord, I pray that you will continue to bless Equal Church, that you will continue to open hearts and minds, Father, that you will continue to have us lean upon one another for a better understanding and less judgment, Lord. That. We all don't have to agree on everything, Father, but I just pray that you would help us keep things civil. And Lord, I just thank you again for Pastor Andy and his family. I pray that you would protect us, Father, until we see one another again. And Lord, I pray that you would put us in the forefront of whatever the mission is, Father, because we're ready and we're able. For Father, we thank you in all things and in everything. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.
0: Ken, I appreciate your perspective. I appreciate your lens, the wisdom, and your life experience. And like I said earlier, the meekness that you carry. And uh, there's nothing. I mean, really, you are a um, inspiration for me to just call you friend and to know you. And I can't wait till you get back to Rochester. And honestly, I'm inviting myself over to your house for dinner with my three, <laughs> three kids.
1: You're welcome. So
0: just tell us what dessert we need to bring and we'll eat whatever you put on that table, my friend.
1: Thank you for joining
0: us on this week's episode. If you have any questions or prayer requests, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at hey at we are the echo dot church.
1: This episode was produced and mixed by Just Hit Publish Productions.